It is good to have with us today Chuck Fitteroff from Good Samaritan Mission up in Jackson, Wyoming. And uh, he's going to just take a few minutes and share with us some of the aspects of the ministry up there. And uh, so, Chuck, it's good to have you. Why don't you come on up here and tell us what the Lord is doing. You know, the Good Samaritan Mission, there's a lot of facts and figures. 16,000 meals on a good year. We do breakfast and lunch and feed those people in the community and that are staying there. We've got 35 beds, uh, 30 for men and five for women. We do many, many different food programs. We have a food cupboard out the back door. We do a totes of hope program, 40 bags of food every week filled with 12 to 15 pounds of food. It's quite a lot of food, I know, because I have to tote it over there every Wednesday to the Children's Learning Center. These are kids that have been identified as food insecure. So that food programs, uh, we do housing, we guide people that come into the mission that have pretty much wrecked their lives. We take them back and we say, see that Jesus? He died for you on the cross. On the video, if, you if we would have got to seen it, Again, I'm going to put that on my Facebook, so Chuck Fidroff is my name. Look at our Good Samaritan Mission. It'll, that video will be on that page today because this is the last day. We've got a few more days. Friday's the last day you can donate through old bills. So watch that video and see what you think because we spent a lot of money making that video, and I, I kind of wish it could have got shown. But the video had this man, Duke, on it, and Duke was a contractor and he, he uh, was contracting. He lived right down in Thane and he used to build houses in, in Jackson Hole and he was doing really, really good until the alcohol got the best of him. And about three and a half years ago, he had to leave the mission because he went back to his drinking one more time. Well, about three years ago, we gave him another chance. He came back in the mission, went through our program where we taught him to look to the cross to see Jesus as his Lord, Master, and Savior, to give his life to that so he could overcome his alcohol and drugs. I was a drunk for 30 years myself. So I knew how, how their process worked. You give your life to Christ, and then he sets you free. It's not an easy thing, but once you keep your eyes on that cross, you can be set free. And that's what we love to do at the Good Samaritan Mission. I like to help people sit across from me as they're sitting across from me, I like to ask him this question, how's your relationship with Jesus? And as I ask him that question, I know where to go from there. Because if they don't have that, they don't have anything. We learned that in, in Bible study today in the uh, Sunday school. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let's get back to our basics. Let's get back to Jesus. So the reason I'm here is to get people to give to old bills. So I want to say three things, three times. So you'll remember, Good Samaritan Mission, Old Bills Fun Run. Good Samaritan Mission, Old Bill's Fun Run. Good Samaritan Mission, Old Bill's Fun Run. I'll be in the back. I've got my newsletter. Yes? Old Bill's Fun Run is still on. Yeah, Friday is the last day you can give. So you've got all this week to give. Just go to Community Foundation online. Click the donate. Look up Good Samaritan Mission. That's why I said it so many times. And give. Uh, you, I'll be in the back on the way out. I've got my newsletter, and it has our address and everything if you'd like to see. And in, in there, you'll have story. At, if you get on our list, then you'll have stories that you can read to see what the mission's doing. Thank you.
When you give to the Good Samaritan Mission, you're supporting the hungry, hurting homeless of our community. You're making sure people have a house, a place to stay. You're making sure they have food to eat. And you're making sure that they have guidance so that they can move forward with their life and become the people that God intended them to be. We do many, many food programs through our, our food pantry. Uh, we feed people here, 16,000 people on a good year. Uh, we just, I just got through delivering Totes of Hope. Totes of Hope delivers 40 bags of food every week over to the Children's Learning Center. Those are kids that have been identified as food insecure. And it's not just for one meal. This is enough food to last them a few meals. There's 14 to 16 pounds worth of food in each one of those bags. And I know because I have to deliver them every week, you know. But it's, it's so good because we're feeding little kids. You know, that's what we're here for, to help people move forward with their lives. We take these people that are broken, that don't have a place to go, they come to the Good Samaritan Mission looking for a place to stay, and they find it here. One of our best employees here is the cook. He does more work than anybody else. Uh, he was a contractor in Jackson Hole for a good long time, and now he's our cook. How did that happen? Well, he got, came in here, got drunk, had to leave, uh, and then after a time he decided to come into our program. When he came into our program, he's been clean and sober now for over three years. And now he's cooking for the hungry, hurting homeless in our community. Now he's got his life back. Now he has meaning and purpose every day he wakes up. Uh, the Good Samaritan Mission was here for me. When I came out, I had a lot of rage, come out of a bad marriage, lost everything I had in that marriage. And I just, I was a rage machine. So I came here and Chuck and Brad, they, they brought me back to, to ground zero again. And uh, been doing good ever since then. I'm happy, my heart's happy. And, uh, and I enjoy helping people, always have. Duke is just a wonderful individual. I was glad I got to be a part of helping men get his life back. You know, in past years, we've been here, but this year, it seems like everything has been at the lowest point that we've ever had, and we need your help more than ever to help us move forward, to make sure that there's a place in this town that the hungry, hurting homeless can come. Without your support, we couldn't be here. And we need to be here to make sure that those people can move forward with their lives. If we can't help them, who's gonna? Thank you. Amend that ministry. Um, when we hear of a need here in the valley, there is no such mission here in Star Valley, so many times we will help or try to get people to go that direction, and um, so we highly commend that ministry to you. We thank you, Chuck, for your faithfulness uh, to proclaim the gospel there, and uh, let's just continue to pray for that ministry as well, that God will bless it um, as it serves people who are trapped in darkness and, and, um, and, and in need of Christ, and so... Let's be in prayer for that. Also, we're so grateful for the funds that were able to be raised yesterday. The Ozar House, the golf tournament, raised about $3,000. And so we praise the Lord for that. And we also have the, the Walk for Life that's coming up 
not this weekend, but the next. So make, make a note of that, and if you can be involved in, in the Osler House Walk for Life, uh, we encourage you to do that as well. Uh, there are things in the bulletin that we would like you to take a note of. The Truth Project will be shortly coming to an end in Sunday School. When that is, we'll be transitioning into some other things. We'll let you know about that. Uh, also, next Saturday, men, there is a men's breakfast here at the church. And we'll be starting at 8 o'clock. encourage you all to come. Uh, we'll have food, and we will have fellowship and Bible study. And so encourage you to be here on Saturday if you can make that work. And then on Monday evening, the 20th, at 7 o'clock, we will be having a new members meeting. And that will be here at the church. If you're either new to the church or maybe you've been here for some time and you have not joined the church but are interested in that process, we would encourage you to come to that meeting and, um, and uh, be, in, be involved in that. So that will be on the 20th. Um, Caleb, if we could have the computer, we're going to do two catechism today, and then uh, we will go to prayer here in just a minute. We're going to do question 39 and question 40, and these will dovetail with where we're going in the scripture this morning. What is the duty which God requires of man? The duty which God requires of man is obedience to his revealed will. Question 40, what did God at first reveal to man for the rule of his obedience? The rule which God at first revealed to man for his obedience was the moral law. As we go to prayer this morning, uh, various needs in our congregation, various people that have been ill, uh, let's continue to pray for one another. Let's pray for our country. Um, I'm trying to shake off a heavy heart after Sunday school. Um, the Truth Project this morning on the heritage of America and where we have gone left me with a heavy heart. And combining that with September 11th yesterday and 20 years, I was thinking of this morning, you know, September 11th was yesterday, 20 years ago was when that happened. Today is the happened, and of course, that predated me. And so December 7th is a date in a history book to me. And I read about Pearl Harbor, and I, I think about it, but wasn't alive to experience what was going on at that time. But we, in our nation, September 11th, and then we see what's going on on the other side of the world today in Afghanistan, and uh, it leaves us with a heavy heart. And so let's be in prayer for our nation and for the church in our nation that God will call us to repentance and uh, in just a sovereign way revisit us with his spirit um, in this nation. So let's go to prayer this morning. Following that, we'll have scripture reading, and then we'll continue in song. Um, but let's look to the Lord as we 
go to worship today. Father, I thank you that you truly do sit in the heavens. As the psalmist said, why did the heathen rage? The people imagine an empty thing. They take their counsel against God. They say, let us throw off his chains. You who sit in the heavens shall laugh at them. You will hold them in derision. Truly, Lord, what is man that you are mindful of us, the son of man, that you would visit us? Forgive us for our defiance as a nation. We have spurned your law. Lord, we know we cannot be saved by keeping the law. That's why you sent to us Christ. Nevertheless, in the law, we see your character displayed, and yet every one of us falls short of that glory. Forgive us, we ask. Father, we ask that you would visit us a nation, not with judgment, but with mercy. Lord, mercy is something that we don't deserve. That's why it's called mercy. And so we plead for mercy. Help us as Christians, your people, to stop putting a basket over the light. Help us, Father, your people, to let your light so shine that men would see our good works and they would glorify our Father. Father, forgive us for being ashamed and being afraid. And really, we're afraid of nothing. For why should we fear a man who can touch our body, but that's all he can do. Who can steal our goods, but that's all he can do. Father, may we instead fear the one who after killing the body can throw the soul into hell. May we fear you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture reading today is in Romans chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 12 and read the 23. <clears throat> Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourself to God as those alive from <clears throat> the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. 
For for sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. What then shall we... What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves of obedience, you are slaves of the one who you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed and having been freed from sin you became slaves of righteousness i'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of the, of your flesh for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further slate lawlessness so now present your members as slaves to righteousness resulting in sanctification For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were were you then deriving from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. 
Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Pray that our Father was blessed by our singing this morning and that our hearts were lifted together to the throne. Now let's turn to the Word, worship the Lord here. I'm going to begin reading in chapter 11 where we were last week. And I want to show you how as he ends this section, he pivots into the next. And I think this is a very important link uh, that many times we overlook, but it's fundamental to really understanding where we're going to go over the next couple months because we're going to keep coming back to this subject. In verse 33, he said, oh, maybe he ends with this lyrical poem of praise, doxology to God for his great mercy to us, saving us. He says, oh, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, the decrees from his throne. How inscrutable are his actions, the path that he takes in performing his will. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his advisor? Who has given a gift to him that God would have to repay him? For from him, and this is a statement concerning all reality. We looked at this last week. It is a summation of reality. All things that are in existence come from him. We sang that this morning. They hold together through him. And ultimately they are answerable back to him. And then he ends this section by saying this. To him be glory forever. Amen. Immediately, Paul goes into the next thought. In his writing, there is no chapter break. You know that. In his writing, he flows. Just as when you write a letter. Most of the time, when we read the scripture, we read chapter to chapter, and so we miss links from thought to thought. The chapter and verses are a blessing because it helps us find things. The curse of them is that it limits our thinking. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, 
I am appealing to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And that will is good, it is acceptable, and it is perfect. Let's pray. Lord, to you alone is the glory. Great things you have done. So loved you the world that you gave us your Son. And in the manifold mercies of God, we have been redeemed. We have been purchased by your blood. We have been set apart a people for your possession. And you ask of us that we in turn present ourselves to you. Lord, this is a mystery because you already have us. We come from you. We live through you. We go back to you. And yet you say to us, yield. Father, you know our hearts that this is the biggest struggle we all have. Believer and unbeliever. To yield our will. In the pages of your word over the next several weeks, confront our will. I pray for the young people who are here who are planning out their life as they see it. That, Lord, you would get in their face in your kind and gracious way And you would impose upon them your prior claim. And they would submit their will. Oh, Lord, if they will do that, they will be blessed. They will find happiness and joy beyond belief. For when we delight ourselves in you, you give us the desires of our heart. Lord, Satan and our flesh conspires and lies to us that you are our enemy. When in reality, you love us. Meet us in your word, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice with me this morning, here's where we go. We're not going to get through these two verses today. It's going to take us probably three weeks. The reason is they're very important. 
today we'll look at the first portion. We're going to see an appeal. We're going to see the why of the appeal, the who of the appeal, the what of the appeal. It'll be pretty simple. This is the pivot of the book. Up to this point, Paul has been laying down doctrinal truth. He's been telling us what God has done for us. From this point on, the stress is going to be on our response. What does it mean? And this is where all the truth that we have studied about is now going to get in our face and going to make us ask some very real questions about how we live, how we think, what we do. There's an appeal. The appeal that the Apostle Paul lays out is this. I beseech you. I appeal to you. I urge you. In the classic Greek of the day, that word, to appeal, to urge, to beseech, was a word that was used to describe what a general would do as he was preparing his soldiers for battle. We can all think of times when in history, men have stood before a portion of their army and they have said to them, men, we're going out there and some of you aren't coming back. Some of you are going to come back wounded. But we're going out there together. We're not going to leave any of you behind. And we're going to stand together and we're going to fight. And he'd come up with some appeal. And he would lay that on his men, and off they go. It's that word. It's like the Apostle Paul is coming to us now. He's giving us all this truth, and he's saying, okay, we're ready for battle. We're going out there every day. We're facing the devil. We're facing sin. We're facing our flesh. He says, I urge you. I appeal to you. I beseech you. There's an appeal. The second thing that you'll notice with me is the why. Where does this appeal come from? What's the link? There's two. The first one is the word, therefore. Look at it in your Bible. Therefore. The other one is what? Based on what? The mercies of God. The why of the appeal is the word, therefore, and the mercies of God. He is urging us based on something. The mercies of God. Now think about that for a minute. That's not an error in the ESV or any other translation. The way it is written here is the way it is in the original language. He does not say singular Mercy. He says plural mercies. Think 
Think with me of the book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Great is thy faithfulness. Your mercy is what? New every morning. It's new every morning. The manifold mercies of God. Yes, he has been merciful to us in Christ in the big picture, and that is a singular mercy. But from that flows countless acts of mercy on your behalf and mine. Look at the story of your life. Just run that history. He hasn't shown you mercy just once. How many times has he shown you mercy? Many, many times. How many times has he shown me mercy? Many, many, many times. It's an ongoing thing. It is a repeat of God. And this is why we come back to this, what Paul has said in chapter 11. Oh, the depth! Oh, the depth! There is no bottom to the mercy of God. His mercy precedes us. It surrounds us in the present and it goes before us. We don't want to presume on his mercy. We should not sin presumptuously and live presumptuously in rebellion against him. But he is a God of mercy. And for that we praise him. Oh, the depth. Here he is reflecting on the mercies of God, and this is going to serve as the basis of this appeal. The word therefore. You've heard this before. I've said it before. You've heard it in other places. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you look and see what? What it's there for, right? In other words, it's telling us there was something before that leads into what he is now saying. That's the link. It's a linking word. So he says, therefore. I beseech you, therefore. What is the therefore? Yeah, it's everything that went before, but this is specifically what it is. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's what just went before. He just said, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, since he is a God who will not share his glory with any of us. To him alone is the glory, since he is a glorified God. Therefore, present yourselves to him. I love the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore, it's on the back wall as you go out, it's there for a reason. This is the fundamental thing of life. Whether, therefore, you eat or you drink, do everything to the glory of God. If we would ask of ourselves concerning every action that we are about to take, everything, is this to the glory of God? That's the only question we got to ask, right? It really is the only question we got to ask. Is my doing this, is my thinking this, bringing glory to God? If it is not, it should have no place in our life.
What does a life look like that glorifies God? I want to glorify Him. I think the heart of a Christian is irreducibly at that point. We fail. We don't ever do it perfectly. But in our heart, there is something about our relationship to God, our Father, our Maker, our Redeemer, that we say from within, because of the Spirit, I want to bring glory to you. So what does a life look like that glorifies God? You know what it looks like? Chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. What it looks like. You know what it looks like, first of all? A life that glorifies God is what? Not conformed to the world. It is being transformed by what? The renewing of the mind. That's a life that glorifies God, fundamentally. Okay, so a, a life that is glorifying to God in such a way that my mind is being renewed. And I'm being transformed by the God Spirit. You know what that's going to do to me? It's going to right away put me out of sync with the world, but not in ways that I think like. Because we just think of this very surface. I, a few years back, some of you weren't in the church when we did this. We had had some Amish young men come and, and live with us for months at a time, and they would work on the ranch. And one of them got married, went back to, their, to, the, to his wedding. Spent time in that Amish community. It was an amazing cross-cultural experience. It was amazing to see some of the things that they were obsessing with. To think some of the things that we may be obsessed with, that whatever. It was amazing. Sometimes the way we define worldliness and the way God defines it ain't nothing on the same page. You know what a worldly man does? Chapter 12, verse 3, he thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. You know what a transformed mind does? It appraises itself correctly. A transformed life walks in the Spirit in such a way that the spiritual gifts that we will study flow out of him. And then he's going to go into a whole bunch of things in chapter 12 that are definite marks of a transformed mind. Notice what he says. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's not worldliness. Right? What does the world do? Power is all about prestige. It's all about fame. It's all about self. But what is a mind that is transformed that is renewed by the Word, what happens to that person? He wants others to be honored. That's a life that glorified God. And then he's going to go into something really hard. When your enemy is hungry, feed him. That's not worldly. That is not the natural man. When your enemy is hungry, feed him. How do you overcome evil? With an AR-15. Well, of course. We all know that. How do you overcome evil? By doing good. 
chapter 13. Our relationship to human government. A life that glorifies God is a life that lives in submission to authority. Now, we've got to wrestle with some things. We'll do it in that chapter, not today. <laughs> that gives me some time. Maybe the Lord will come back first. We don't know how blessed we are to live in America. <clears throat> no one wants to stay in Afghanistan. What do they want to get? Here. I'm reading a book. The life of a guy named Peter the Great. He was the ruler, a czar of Russia. 1600s. Phenomenal man. But in Russia in those days, what he said was what happened. I'm glad we don't live in that system. Three of his guards and one of his advisors fell out of favor. They were accused of a treasonous act that was never pinned on them and there was really no evidence. They just had the wrong last name. Literally. They dug up their great-grandpappy, who had been dead for 15 years, brought his casket to where they would execute these four men. They opened the casket and they put it under the scaffolding so that the blood of these four would saturate his decayed corpse. This is how vindictive this is in public. Each one of them, I'm going to gross you out, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it specifically because I want us to think of how blessed we are to live in America. Where law is not arbitrary and punishment is not excessive. They took an axe, cut off each of those four men's arms and legs, and left them to bleed for a bit. And then cut off their head. I'm glad I don't live there. Despite all our flaws, we have a system that God has blessed. We do need to be willing to die for this system. To stand up for it. But we must always do so in a way that honors Christ. Okay? Always. And if we don't, we do not glorify God. We glorify our own interests. And there's a big difference. Chapter 14. You know what he's going to say? Chapter 14 and 15? Uh, just look at the beginning of the chapter. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But don't quarrel over opinions. One person believes he can eat anything. While a weak person is vegan. We'll make it contemporary. 
Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. God has welcomed him. What are we going to see in chapter 14? Don't be judgmental. Don't be judgmental on your own little cotton-picking opinions like I have. Right? That's important to me. But there are some things that are not important to God. And when my opinion is elevated to the authority in my life over the word of God, it is worldliness. It does not glorify God. So as we go through the next chapters, we're going to get confronted. And I hope every one of us squirms. I hope I can make you squirm a lot because i got to squirm a lot in my study. Wrestling with this stuff. What does a life look like that honors, that glorifies God? It is a life that is transformed because the mind is renewed. And the way that plays out in the real world is gutsy. And it's tough. It forgives. It is gracious. It is kind. And those are words we spout out. And we want everyone else to obey. But we get the per we get the buy. No. That is the why of the appeal. Who is the appeal? Is brothers. Notice this. Go back to chapter twelve. I appeal to you, therefore, unsaved pagans, present your bodies a living sacrifice. No, what does he say? I appeal to you who? Brothers. Why is that important that you note that? He's talking to the church. He's talking to us. He's talking to those on the inside. He's not talking to the world here. This is fundamentally important. This is my mail. God has given this to me. That is fundamentally important to realize. He is not in this verse telling us how a person becomes a Christian. He is telling us what a Christian does. That is important. When I came into Christ... My understanding of Christ and my obligations to Christ were probably pretty shallow. The longer I am in Christ, it doesn't get any easier. He asks of me more. He asks me to go deeper. He asked me to sacrifice more. Yes, he said, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of me. He says, die to yourself. And all these things are a part of coming into Christ. But I just want you to understand something. The longer you are in Christ, he will continue to say to you, take up the cross and follow me. Be a sacrifice. Die. Die to self. We hear that message and, and, and it, it, boy, that the, the natural mind, the, the, the flesh, it doesn't resonate well. You kind of don't like that. 
But you know as well as I know that when you do it, when you follow him, when you obey him, there is joy and peace beyond compare. Right? The most difficult decisions I had to make in life when I had to surrender my will on the backside of saying yes, I found joy and blessing that I would never have found unless I had walked through that door. Kids, young people, you sit there and you wrestle with God on whether or not to give your life to him and do what he says. And I guarantee you, your flesh and Satan and the world is telling you, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. If you do that, you will not be happy. You won't, God is going to make your life miserable. He'll send you to Antarctica as a missionary. Let's not say Africa anymore. At least in Africa, they got cell phones, I'm sure. In Antarctica, there's no coverage. How am I going to look at my phone? God, life will be miserable. No, kids. If you say yes, you'll find joy. You say no, not so much. That's the deal. By laying down your life, you find it. Notice the last one, the what of the appeal, and then we'll close. The what of the appeal is present. What does this mean? We'll go a little deeper in this next week as we pivot into the rest of this verse. It says, by the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. It is your reasonable or your spiritual worship. We'll unpack that. There's three descriptions of this sacrifice. It is holy, it is acceptable, and it is what? Your spiritual worship. And it, the, the word there has to do with reasonable, logical. Go, we'll unpack that. But what I want you to see here is this, this truth. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, there's some people out there, some commentators make a big deal out of the fact that this verb, to present, is what is called an aorist verb, which is like a one-time action many times in the original language. Like, this is just something you do, you know. So you're at a Billy Graham crusade, and, you know, he says, give your life to Jesus. You come forward, and I, okay, I give my life to Jesus. That's not the force of it, though. This verb, although it is an aorist, speaks of a state that arises in a life, a state of being, where the individual sees himself as a present to God my whole life. I'm going to say to you, sometimes that's three times a day, sometimes it's every minute of the day. It's when you're going through life and you want to take back the reins. And you just say, God, I give this to you. Yeah, it began at a point in time. But this is not something that you can do once and you're good to go. 
Okay, it's not that kind of thing. This is like I've got to do this all the time. I've got to be continually laying down my life to the Lord and putting it in his hands and saying, Lord, my life is yours. The word present is a formal word. It is a technical word coming out of the Mosaic law. It's used in Luke chapter 2 and verse 22 when Jesus' parents took him to the temple and they presented him to the Lord according to the regulations for the purification of Mary. And they brought a sacrifice of two turtle doves. They presented him to the Lord. Accompanying that kind of presentation in the Old Testament law was a bloody sacrifice. It could be two turtle doves. It could be other things. But there was a bloody sacrifice. It's a dead sacrifice. It is really hard for a Jewish reader to read this and not think this is an oxymoronic statement, a living sacrifice. Because when they think of sacrifice, they think of death. Always. Okay? There are three words in the Greek language to describe this. I don't want to take you into craziness here, but one is the word sacrifice. One is another word that is a noun that is the same word with a different ending, and it's the word an altar. An altar is a place of sacrifice. The third word is the verb, and it means to kill. That's what it means, to kill. So it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Christ our Passover is killed. He is sacrificed. So a Jewish reader is reading this and he's coming to terms with it and he's saying, okay, God, not looking for a bloody dead sacrifice. Why? Because there was one for sin forever. We saw that in the book of Hebrews. He's looking for what? A living one. What does that mean? That looks like chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. A living sacrifice. Now here's the link. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, it is Christ who lives in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. So yes, I die, but yet I live. Thinking of 9-11, On that day, Islam brought to the forefront its teaching that God is looking for dead sacrifices. Teaching that God was looking for men who would be martyrs. Now, God may call you to be a martyr, but Christianity does not glorify martyrdom the way Islam does. Don't ever think of that. Islam is saying what? You will be blessed beyond compare 
if you become a martyr, a dead sacrifice, and believing that worldview, they laid down their lives and went to hell. God is looking for sacrifices that live. That live in Star Valley. That walk these streets. That play golf on these golf courses. That go in these grocery stores. That do business. But they do it in a radically different orientation than the rest of the world. They do it to bring glory to God. May that be us. Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word, that it is living and active, it is sharp. Penetrate our hard hearts, confront us with your will, and change our minds to be renewed like Christ. And so we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. sacrifice for you and for others. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.